Novel comes back into focus. India's fuel retailers and FMCG companies suffer. And is Nike a good bet? This is Vinay Uttam, your resident stock doctor, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Stock Doctor podcast. Did you guys miss me? I most certainly missed you guys. Apologies for the longer than extended break. Had some uh, unforeseen and unavoidable circumstances last week, which uh, meant I couldn't record an episode last week. Kind of hoping that going forward, such circumstances don't arise in the future, and I'll try my best to maintain a, a bit of a consistency. Uh, but anywho, we're back now, and it looks like a lot of wild things did happen in uh, my absence. The Fed finally raised rates, and just when the markets made peace with those rate hikes, Fed Chair Powell last week decided to spook the markets by announcing that the Fed is going to hit the accelerator as hard as they can when it comes to hiking rates, and the possibility of a 50 basis point hike is as real as it can get. Of course, then there's the unfortunate matter of the Russia-Ukraine war, which is throwing all kinds of uncertainties, ranging from the possibility of of the war being upgraded to a chemical and nuclear warfare, to the possibility of a peaceful resolution. The most striking development is that for the last two weeks, the markets seem to be in a good mood. And... They seem to be in a mood to shrug off all the bad news and focus on whatever good is out there. I mean, assuming there is something good out there. Not, I'm still not sure as to why the markets react the way they have been reacting for the last two weeks. And the heavily beaten down technology sector is roaring back once again as the Nasdaq ended the week up by 2%. So let's find out what happened in the markets last week, right? Let's go ahead. Let's uh, go, go, go to our first segment, Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. Welcome to the Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. So the markets took a step back from the developments surrounding Russia-Ukraine war and shifted their focus to the Fed and Chairman Powell. Not that the war was coming to an end or anything, it's just that the comments from Chair Powell were so aggressive that I actually felt he was a bit unhappy with how the market simply shrugged off his first-rate hike. Based on his comments, it looks like the Fed was, you know, Fed is ready to do whatever it took to ensure that inflation was tamed. Chairman Powell even went to the extent to declare that the Fed has absolutely no issues to raise interest rates by 50 basis point at the next policy meeting, should the need arise. I mean, with inflation showing no signs of slowing down and with the Ukraine crisis adding fuel to the fire, these words uh, from Chair Powell should come as no surprise. What is going to be interesting, though, to look forward is whether the Fed translates aggressive words into aggressive actions. More importantly, what's interesting, what's going to be interesting, is whether these aggressive actions are timed right. In other words, the question on every investor's mind is whether the Fed can engineer a soft landing, a process whereby it rises interest rates to a level that cools the economy, but one that doesn't cause a recession. See, here's my problem. I'm not sure that it can especially since there are just too many landmines for the Fed to navigate in the current climate. And this makes the comeback rally in the markets that we've been, you know, we've been witnessing for the last two weeks a bit too hard to digest for me. Let's look at this way. Structurally, over the last two weeks, nothing seems to have changed. Inflation remains red hot. The labor market is tight. Crude is at elevated levels. And Russia continues to pummel certain sections of Ukraine with no signs of peace in the vicinity. And now you have a central bank that is desperate. Among all the factors that I've highlighted, the last one, in my opinion, 
central bank being desperate, is the most dangerous as far as the economy and markets are concerned, no matter how awesome Jerome Powell is. Yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures, but if you're the one who put yourself in desperate times because of certain policy errors, then what are the odds that those desperate measures that you're going to implement won't be error-prone as well? In other news, we also saw the birth of a new tech-related acronym, a MANGO. Not as cool as my mama aunt, right? Definitely not. The acronym MANGO, coined by Bank of America analysts, is exclusively comprised of semiconductor stops, uh, stocks, not stops, stocks. M for MANGO is for Marvel Technology. A is for Broadcom, AMD, and Analog Devices. Apparently, there are three. N is for NVIDIA. G is for Global Foundries. And O is for On Semiconductor Corp. In case you were wondering how Broadcom is part of Mango, then please note that Broadcom trades under the ticker AVGO, so that A goes in the Mango. See, I told you, it's not as straightforward as my mama and Mama and is better than this Mango acronym. Why was this acronym born, you ask? Well, it was because bank, analysts at Bank of America believe that these stocks are, quote-unquote, high-conviction stocks because of the end markets to which the companies are tied. I'm happy that people are starting to understand the value of chip stocks again. I was particularly surprised by the beating that some of these high-quality names took in the recent period of market turmoil. And for obvious reasons, I'm glad that my favorite NVIDIA made it to the list. The company seems to have found its spark again, with the stock up nearly 24% this month, although it's still down 6% year-to-date. And why shouldn't it? You know, why shouldn't it find its spark again? The company had its analyst slash investor day, as well as its AI conference, the GTC, last week. And in addition to announcing some powerful AI chips, the company also disclosed its plans to conquer the $1 trillion total addressable market. Even if you're not interested in the company, let me, let me just tell you right now, please go on YouTube and check out the interaction between CEO Jensen Huang and his AI avatar as part of his keynote address at the GTC. I can guarantee you it's pretty cool. What stood for me out from the analyst day the most was how the company put a lot of emphasis on its partnerships with the automotive industry and how it sees the sector as a multi-billion dollar opportunity. I mean, with $11 billion I mean, pipeline of contracts in the space and having fought some formidable partnerships with the auto industry's top players, I wouldn't bet against the auto chip division as the next growth driver for the company, complementing its already formidable data center and gaming segments. So no surprises then that NVIDIA is part of the Mango stocks, which I hope that investors' portfolios find to be as delicious as the fruit. Too much? Nah, 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 not too much. Let's head to the next segment. The doctor goes home. Welcome to the doctor goes home segment. Now, as the U.S. markets were too focused on the Fed last week, the Indian markets continued to maintain their focus on the Russia-Ukraine war. I mean, how could they not, right? Since the war continues to drive up crude and commodity prices, both of which cause pain to both India Inc. and the Indian consumer. This week, we'll tackle two of the sectors that have been significantly affected by the Russia-Ukraine war, energy and FMCG. So let's start with energy. If, if crude is at record levels, right, surely that must mean that oil companies should be having a party, right? I mean, that's what's happening in the U.S. anyway, with the energy sector deemed as the trade of the year, even though we are only three months in. Even in India, the rise in crude prices is great for upstream oil companies such as ONGC. However, 
downstream companies that specialize in fewer retails, retail uh, uh, and so on, uh, such as IOC, BPCL and HPCL are all suffering since due to state elections, fuel prices had to be left unchanged for approximately four and a half months and they only started rising last week. Even though the oil prices uh, have been hiked for five days in a row, that four and a half month hiatus has proven to be costly for oil marketing companies, the likes of IOC, BPCL and HPCL. According to the ratings firm Moody's, India's top fuel retailers, IOC, BPCL and HPCL together lost approximately $2.25 billion, which roughly translates to 19,000 crore rupees in revenue between November and March. The ratings firms further claim that these companies are currently incurring a revenue loss of approximately $25 per barrel and $24 per barrel on the sale of petrol and diesel, respectively. IOC, Indian Oil Corp, is seen to be the worst affected as its revenue loss is about $1 to $1.1 billion. India's own credit rating agency, ICRA, ICRA, also came in with its own report, whereby it suggested that oil marketing companies slash fuel retailers are in for a period of loss making simply because auto fuel is being increased by only a small amounts. So while the Indian consumer received some relief from the unchanged fuel prices, even as crude oil was scaling new peaks, fuel retailers were feeling considerable pain. And now even with the fuel prices starting to go up, Unless the oil prices come down, fuel retailers will continue to feel the pain as a result of the hiatus. The only difference this time, today, they would also have the Indian consumer for company. As an investor, in the short term, I'll probably stay away from the fuel retailer, retailers. Coming to the FMCG industry now, and the industry that I actually like, but in recent times, it has been facing considerable pain. The rising crude and commodity prices have been a major source of pain to these companies and now analysts are trimming earnings and profit margins for many of these FMCG uh, uh, companies. Listed consumer firms have seen their FY23 earnings estimates downgraded by brokerage houses by anywhere between 7 to 16 percent. No surprises because given that FMCG volume sales dipped 2.6 percent year over year in the December quarter, according to Nielsen IQ, the downgrade, you know, it's, it's, it should come as no surprise. Furthermore, FMCG companies are considering another 10% price hike to offset these inflationary pressures. This is on top of the price hikes of between 3 to 16% implemented in the last two weeks for products such as milk, coffee, noodles, and tea. A further price hike is most certainly going to affect demand in the future, especially since the demand for some of the red-hot FMCG categories has been waning since the pandemic started subsiding. For instance, the 14 categories across home, personal and food grew at an average of only 6% in 2021 compared to a 20% growth in 2020. So, you have inflationary pressures, waning popularity for different categories, and price hikes that are clearly reaching breakpoint. Any surprises then that the FMCG sector is in for some pain in the near to medium term? Let's head to our final segment, The Doctor Dissects. Welcome to the final segment, The Doctor Dissects. A new entrant this week in this segment, and it's a company which I really like, especially since I'm betting that it's going to be ruling the retail industry in the metaverse. I'm, of course, talking about Nike. 
ticker symbol NKE. The company had a phenomenal quarter, and I say phenomenal simply because it delivered good numbers during what was a pretty turbulent climate. Q3 revenues came in at about $10.9 billion, which represents a year-over-year growth of 5%, and uh, which beat estimates of $10.6 billion. Earnings per share came in at about $0.87, which uh, represents a 3% decline year-over-year, but one which still beat estimates of $0.72. The company expects FY22 revenues to grow mid-single digits compared to last year. As for FY23 guidance, the company put that off to the fourth quarter, citing high degrees of volatility. There is a lot to like about Nike's quarter, to be honest with you, and a lot more alike from what came out of the earnings call. First, the company's digital drive is gaining a lot of momentum. Nike Digital, its digital marketplace, is proving to be an effective catalyst for growth. It is the company's fastest-growing revenue driver and now represents 26% of the company's brand revenue. In Q3 alone, digital revenue was up 22% on a currency-neutral basis. The segment has also seen an improvement in conversion rates and lower customer returns. Nike's digital app, Sneakers, uh, the pronunciation is S-N-K-R-S. It's pronounced as Sneakers, but it's written as S-N-K-R-S, which allows sneaker lovers to stay up-to-date with new releases, also saw continued success, which resulted in improved conversion for sneaker sales. Since the company began live-streaming its product launches last fiscal year on sneakers, it has seen its audience quadruple. The company also utilized Snapchat's try-on lens and a Fortnite partnership to enhance consumer engagement, all of which seems to be working. And then there's Nike's Metaverse push. Nike's virtual virtual world Nike Land, built on Roblox, has seen visits from 6.7 million players from 224 countries. During NBA's All-Star Week, the company had none other than LeBron James coaching and engaging with the players on Nike Land Court. Finally, in Q3, Nike's recent acquisition, Artifact, it's written as R-T-F-K-T, it's an NFT firm and it's pronounced as Artifact, released the first official Nike-branded NFT, creating more inroads in the world of digital product creation. Overall, the company's various initiatives to drive digital growth is slowly paying off and looks like a solid catalyst for future growth. And then there's the case for supply chain constraints showing signs of easing off. The management announced that all factories in Vietnam are now operational and nearly all the company's supplier base is operational without restrictions. While transit times continue to remain elevated, it's not causing as much damage as it initially thought. Same goes for inflation worries, by the way. With US inflation at record levels, you you would have been forgiven had you thought this was going to be a major headwind for the company. However, neither the transit headaches nor the inflation nightmare caused any significant damage to the company, especially in its largest market, North America. On the contrary, the North American segment saw revenues growing 9% year-over-year, with Nike Digital seeing a year-over-year revenue growth of 33%, driven by double-digit growth in traffic and strong growth in membership. The company's resilience to weather the inflation storm is commendable, and while Q4 is likely to see some negative impact since the company did implement a low single-digit price increase as things stand, the demand for Nike's products continues its explosive trajectory. So, 
you have a company that's evolving with the times is positioning itself to rule the retail industry of the metaverse and one that is showing impressive resilience to an environment designed to wreck it the question then is should one buy nike at current levels let's take a look at valuation we always do so here we go we pay, pay very close attention all right so the company expects fy22 sales to be in the mid single digits let's assume a sales growth of 5% that would give fy22 sales of 47.2 billion dollars given the possibility of inflationary headwinds staying put the impact of the covid lockdowns in china and the continued issues facing transit times i put a modest 7.5% sales growth for fy23 sales this would result in a sales figure of approximately 50.75 billion dollars let's take the current number of shares outstanding of 1.58 billion this is according to refinitiv this would give a sales per share of 32.12 50.75 billion divided by 1.58 billion gives you 32.12 now the company's historical forward price to sales multiple according to refinitiv is 4.5x this translates to a price target of approximately 145 dollars how i get 145 32.12 sales per share multiplied by 4.5x the power price to sales gives you a price target of 145 this represents an upside of just eight and a half percent anything below 10 percent i i just don't find it like you know i probably wait for a more more uh, decent pullback before you know before going 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 in especially if uh, you know this is a long term investment and so you know even 10% is is a, you know i i'm not comfortable 8 and a half i'm definitely not comfortable investing i think i just think it 11s are too low however you could differ from me if you think 8 and a half percent is good enough feel free to invest so while for the so while the long term prospects of the company look fantastic and while i love the company like i said from an investing standpoint i would probably wait for a pullback before going you know before initiating a position before considering to invest simply because for me long term perspective 8.5% is not enough furthermore the company is not without risks it's not just the valuation this risk to consider as well the major risk continues to remain the supply chain issues with transit times continuing to remain elevated the fact that factories are now fully operational doesn't bring much comfort yet i mean if customers have to wait for longer time how does it matter whether factories you know operational or not then there's the china problem where sales have not really declined but are further under threat the sales in the country are further under 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 threat given the fresh covid lockdowns that were implemented during the company's fiscal fourth quarter finally we simply cannot rule out the pressure from inflation while the company has successfully navigated this headache for the time being there is no guarantee that it will continue to resist it as effectively in the future quarters see overall I like Nike. The company, like I mentioned earlier, has evolved with the times, and its focus on digital, combined with the quiet inroads it's making when it comes to the metaverse, are all significant catalysts for future growth. However, right now, I'm not sure whether current levels are a good entry point for long-term investors, given the risks and the limited upside. Having said that, any further pullbacks and/slash or a sudden improvement in the market environment. And the company might just do it the it being a new addition to my portfolios that's all the time i have for you with this week so glad i'm back 
you have a specific Indian or US stock suggestion for the doctor to diagnose and dissect, do tweet me at Uttam Vinay, U-T-H-A-M-V-I-N-A-Y, or email me on the stockdoctorpodcast gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. See you next week. Until then, stay safe and make some money.